It's season two of the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. For this first episode of 2017, we've brought back our original guests and co-hosts from the pilot. Joining me is Rachel, our resident educator and Southern and engineer. Hi. Hello. And I'm your host, Pius. Hopefully we're a little bit familiar to you. We just want to say hello, welcome to 2017, and we're going to talk about the news in engineering education from all of last year and how it might relate to this new year. Yeah, let's yes. do it. Yes, all right, it's a lot. All right, and uh, so there was a lot that happened last year in 2016. First of all, we started this podcast, and that is the biggest news of all. But yes, no. that's the best thing ever. Uh, one trend that I had noticed, and I wanted to talk to you about it, was that Computer science seems to be making a big push uh, in this whole STEM space, especially as it relates to engineering. And one topic that always comes to mind is, first of all, does that even matter? Is computer science even engineering? Because I still hear that argument sometimes that they're totally separate fields. What do you think? I mean, it's like the one of the biggest tools for any engineering. So ignoring that would be like ignoring math. So there's no engineering without math. So if you want to go higher level, you need to know computer science. Sure, I think that computer science is a, a it's vital to encompassing a complete engineering education. You have to know some of those skills, uh, whether it's coding or understanding. Um, I, I think of flowcharting and just how to make those sorts of algorithmic decisions. It's it's vital. Okay, so I was thinking that uh, STEM. Um, so is it going to start including C in it? That's what I was wondering. <laughs> the acronym Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. I mean, I guess science also includes computer science. Is that the deal? Maybe, yeah, yeah. Where, yes. where is computer science? Is it in the S part? Is it in the E part? Is it in I the mean, with, with the amount of push for computer science, uh, it seems like STEM might might not be what we're talking about. Computer science seems like a big part of STEM now. STEM C. It's like everywhere. It's part STEM C. Stem C. Stem like a C. <laughs> like a yeah. Oh, God. We're going to talk about no. acronyms again. But like... <laughs> Back in the summertime, this last July in 2016, the Advanced Placement People, the College Board, they came out with this new AP test that high school students could take and a new course that they could take. AP Computer Science Principles. And uh, we saw a news article about it from EdSurge back then. And basically, kids are taking it right now. And they're going to be taking the exam later uh, this year, and they're going to get scored on it. And if they score five, colleges might choose to give them credit. And so I was talking to some universities, for example, our local one, the University of Texas at Austin. If, if a high school student today gets a good score on their AP CS Principles class, UT is going to give them uh, some graduation credit if they do not major in computer science. Sure, but I think that's fair because if you look at the standards for um, what's expected of a computer science major versus the student expectations of the College Board approved computer science principles class, CSP, I am a big fan of three-letter acronyms nice. or TLAs, if you will, and I know that there are people who are not, but I am, so we're going to use them. Um, if you are um, a student enrolled in CSP, AP CSP, 
the expectations or the standards that are in that course are not at the same level of what we like to call rigor and relevance as what would be expected of you if you were a freshman or sophomore enrolled in a computer science um, post-secondary That's exactly what they said, in fact. And UT wasn't the only one that said that. Carnegie Mellon, um, there were a couple other university sites that said that if you're going to go into their computer science program, they expect that you basically already... You should have these skills. Right. I could see it, though, also being used as... um, So we are faced, especially in rural areas and poorer areas, um, with students who are mostly college-ready, but they get to college and they may... They may find that they need to pick up a remedial course or two. This could be, if it were offered even at the collegiate level that sort of bridge that if you have have students who want to major in engineering or CS, they could take this Mm -hmm. course and that could be that remedial course that they need outside of high school to get them on the right pathway and keep going down that post-secondary path to a bachelor's in computer science. For the benefit of Southern and anyone who doesn't know uh, the American tradition of AP I was gonna, tests. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to bring that up. So. Yeah, yeah, sorry. No, I need Could to bring that up now. Wood. This is yeah. a good segue. Yeah. Uh, the, the AP test is supposed to be this test that high school students take to prove that they know enough to replace a college class. So in theory, if they took this AP computer science principles class and did well on this test, they've just proved to all these colleges that they could skip this class. Interesting. Is it the entire country or just Texas? Yes. The college board runs all of the AP. You've heard of advanced, advanced placement or AP testing in American high schools. And so you can take AP biology or AP chemistry or AP organic chemistry, AP US history. You can take AP computer science. A and B, which is different from AP computer science. Okay, so it seems like the entire country is pushing computer science into. Uh, I think so. And the the college board is kind of jumping on that. Yeah, it's fulfilling what people kind of were asking for. There's a need. Yeah. And AP has jumped in. (laughs) Pulling in our engineering (laughs) vocabulary. Yes. Cool. That makes makes sense. Why is. Well, and it's a a consistent, viable way of making this happen. So instead of 50 different states with hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of different school districts trying to find their own solution, then the AP board or the college board has stepped up and said, we have a certain set of criteria or set of standards you can follow these you mm-hmm. develop a curriculum and the teacher comes to training and then when your students take our um standardized test you know you're meeting yeah. multiple needs simultaneously and speaking of carnegie mellon one of the other big news from last year was that carnegie mellon was doing exceptionally well at attracting not only computer science majors and engineering majors, but uh, Carnegie Mellon was attracting women to study computer science and engineering at almost uh, rates equal to men, about 50-50, which wow. is like really That's unusual. Yeah, so that I thought that was pretty big. And so that they reported on that in the fall. And I think as we were talking that part of the draw or the attraction of this computer science principles class and test Um, is that there's an inclusivity factor that 
for students who maybe are interested in computer science and they might know a thing or two, but they, maybe they just don't have that confidence level. Hmm. Maybe they take the class, they take the test, they do well, and because they're interested, it gives them that conf uh, confidence. It gives them the ability to go on to post-secondary learning in that field because they're not as intimidated by the technicality factor. And that, you know, one of the things that we've all worked on in the past is promoting diversity and increased participation in engineering and engineering education. So to me, this is just another outlet for that. Yeah, I, I do wonder how it's going to go. And this is a new thing, so it is kind of experimental. I think I'm going to have to follow how that works. So another, Hashtag following. Yes, hashtag following. <laughs> and I'm going to have to follow if, if women and minorities study engineering and computer science in greater numbers that as well. Interesting. That's part of the results. We'll see if that, like this theory holds pattern. up. Are yeah, you well, ready? Are they, you prepped for that? If, if, yes, I'm ready. I'm just going to say that now. <laughs> a year from now, we'll see. But if, if, uh, other, if other colleges follow what CMU does... Do you know what they specifically do to attract um, female students? So uh, not off the top of my head. I know that it was, it was definitely a multi-year effort where they were doing outreach. They had something very much like the computer science principles already. They were one of the pilot schools. Like they teach a computer science principles type class to their freshmen or they have it as an option. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, kind of like what you were saying, Rachel, maybe that helped attract more people attract and launch like a softer intro yes. to computer science i mean if you feel so we know in working with diverse populations and this is not only true for um stem it's true across multiple content areas but if you want to attract historically underrepresented populations to a certain field they have to see themselves in that field they have to see role models they have to see people who look and think and talk and act like them and in presenting a safe environment where you're comfortable taking risks you're more willing to then go down that pathway. And if you take a risk and you succeed, you're more likely to take another risk. And then you take another risk and another. And eventually, oh gosh, all of a you're sudden I have a CS. master's <laughs> in, yes, exactly. You mentioned being able to see yourself in certain fields. So did you see the movie Hidden Figures by any chance? I have not. And it's so interesting. No. Well, full disclosure, in case anybody didn't know, I'm white. And because <laughs> it's radio, you don't know what I look like. I'm shocked. Rachel. So no, but so I'm white. My, uh, my ex-husband is white. And so our son is also white. He is dying, dying really? to see Hidden Figures. How does he know about it? Well, is it he, a kid's film? No. And, and your son is how old again? He's seven. Okay. He's a little one. He is not a kid's film, Sutton. This is the, the story of the African-American women mathematicians and scientists who helped us put a man on the moon. They did um, a lot of the, the theoretical calculations, and their work was largely uncredited for a very long time. Hmm. And then, of course, somebody said, you know what, this story needs to be told. So now it's a major motion picture, and it's currently in theaters. I have not seen it. My son hasn't seen it, but he is dying to go see it. And I could not be 
more excited, more proud. I think it's amazing and I can't flippin' wait. It gets great reviews and I do want to see it as well. So uh, maybe later on we can I know. talk about we'll, that. We'll yeah. maybe we'll complete in the other podcast episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of other big things that happened, something that I found, which uh, I thought was cool. I don't know if this is the biggest news, but I'm going to talk about it, was on Kickstarter. There was a new product introduced called Rocketbook, which was like a new high-tech yeah, notebook. Yeah, I saw that. Yes. You saw that? Yes, yes. How would you explain it to anyone who doesn't know what it is? Okay, from what I understood, um, so it's like a regular notebook, and they have this special pen. Um, so the pen has a specific ink where you put it in the microwave for five minutes or something. Somewhere, yeah. And it, whatever you wrote disappears. So it comes with an app. It comes with the app on the phone where as soon as you write it, you can, uh, scan it. But it's not, it's, it's a very, very, very quick scanner. It's not the ones that we use right now. So it's a very quick scanner and it immediately uploads everything you wrote on the notebook to your uh, cloud. Um, and then once you're done with it, you can go microwave it. <laughs> and then you have a, <laughs> have a new, new, new notebook. Yes. Right? So that's, uh, that's Again, cool you all can't see me because it's radio, but my jaw is, I am agape. You're just my amazed. jaw is on the floor. This is amazing. And they got it's funded. Cool they got yeah. like, uh, how did I not know about this? Uh, well, it, it just start, the, their Kickstarter started in the fall and they just finished and they've got $1.5 million pledged yeah, in funds. Yeah. In engineering, especially in the high school engineering courses that yes. we know about, engineering notebooks are huge. They're cumbersome. I'm so former teacher, and I worked at mostly large school districts. If I had taught engineering in my former school district, the current, the last enrollment that I knew of for engineering participation at that school district was one teacher teaching five classes of engineering, each class having close to 30 students. And then she had another class of something else. So she had 175 students, which is a typical caseload for teachers in this area. I'm not lugging home 150 notebooks to grade and give feedback on because, well, one, I can't lift it, and two, they may not even fit in my car. Would you use it in your work, Southern? Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of debatable. Okay. So the immediate cons that I see is, um, there's only, there's an 80 page limit. Okay. Oh, wait, on the cloud, there's an 80 page no, no, limit? No, no. Uh, the book itself. Oh, okay. Yeah, so okay. you can only write for Sorry. 80 pages and then you get it to go back and erase sure. it. Um, so if you're taking three classes, you gotta divide the 80 pages into three. But if pages. you're dumping it into a cloud, couldn't you delete your pages as you go? You can, but also like there's a, there's a discontinuation there that I personally I would. You want to be able to flip back in the. I want multiple. Uh, I think books. I agree with you, but only because I'm used to paper. I feel like if you were a kid and you were used to digital sure. everything, maybe something like the Everlast Rocket Book would be well, okay. Mm. But I don't know. So even in my current position, thirty bucks by the way, thirty four dollars. Thirty. That was the pledge for, for one. Ladies. Shoes cost at least two, three times that. This is nothing, nothing. Hey, it's Pius. Just an update before we tackle part two. If you're listening, I hope it means that you like what I'm doing here. And if you do, please consider pledging a financial contribution to the show at Patreon. 
because that'll let me continue into Season 2 and beyond. If you haven't heard of Patreon, it's like a digital tip jar for people who create stuff. And in my case, my studio, Pios Labs, is creating the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. Even a dollar a month will help me cover the costs of web hosting, getting equipment, transcribing, and all the other pricey stuff I need to keep on sharing this project with you. So check it out online at www.patreon.com slash Labs. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash P-I-O-S-L-A-B-S. It's also linked in the show information. Thanks, everybody. Now, on to part two. Let me start off by saying that by the time that anyone who's listening to the show hears this, uh, just be aware that we are recording uh, on Inauguration Day. So I think we have a new administration today. Currently. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And, yes. uh, I saw this protest on the TV. <laughs> yes, Southern, <laughs> being uh, Indian, as you remember, may not be as aware of all the little American Nuances, strangeness. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes it's more than nuance. It's just weird overt things that may not be well, understandable. And some, so, and I will say too that not all of the current administrative uh, positions have been fully confirmed by the yes, Senate yet. Right. So a few have and not others. Thanks for mentioning that. The one that really matters for us in our conversation, I think, at least one, but but the first one is Betsy DeVos. Is that how you say her name? DeVos, I believe, yes. Uh, and she's being nominated right now for uh, the education cabinet member. And uh, she's very controversial, just like the Trump administration. Okay, so what's her, what's her qualifications? That's a question that many people are asking. Okay. So I'm glad that you, as a non-American, can ask No, this is a genuine question. Yeah. No, 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 it is. It. And actually, i got to be honest, I don't know a whole lot, too. All I know is that I, I looked up a lot of the controversies, and that is a criticism, that she doesn't have as much qualifications as, say, past education secretaries or education officials, um, because she never went to public school uh, what is it? She never worked or served as like a principal or a Betsy teacher. Betsy DeVos has not been a teacher. She has not served in a public or private school. Um, I believe she has sat on advisory boards uh, for both charter and private schools. Her children have attended private schools. Um, she has donated money to both private and charter schools and she headed up in Michigan where 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 she originally is from she headed up um, several charter school um, initiatives and maybe even uh, ran or sat on the board of one or more charter schools I again I don't know her full qualifications I do know that her both exposure to, and experience with regular K-12 public schools is virtually non-existent. Um, I don't think that it's that her supporters want to undermine public schools, but they see so many systemic problems with public schools that they mm -hmm. feel that vouchers and mm -hmm. charter schools and private schools are a legitimized and viable answer. Mm -hmm without looking at the deeper details that what might be involved in that um, transitional, fiscal, um, legislative, and uh, just logistical process of 
what that might look like. Okay, it's very interesting you bring that point up because just just to give you a perspective of what's happening in India on the same thing that you're talking about is um, in India you have uh, the public schools are cheap, but the quality is so bad. It's really bad. Um, so not a lot of people who go to public schools, they choose private schools mm-hmm. where the uh, the fees is, the tuition is so high. Um, even for like a preschool, you pay like so much money for that. Public schools in India used to be good when they were first uh, introduced. So it was done with the intention of actual education, you know, based on research and everything. Uh, but after some time, when there was more money on the private sector, um, they slowly pushed away public schools to lesser and lesser standards. So people don't offer that, and they go more towards private schools. So, so was it that? So what I'm hearing is, as increased privatization occurred, public schools then started failing. Um, I would say it's simultaneously. So as okay. you push, as you push the private schools, uh, you know, if as you push private schools more sure the standards are okay even it could be even the other way so they slowly reduce the standards for uh, public schools while the private schools provided higher standards okay so people went there uh, but at the same time the cost is at least 20 times more wow. sure um, there are public schools which are completely free right right and uh, so it's like a infinitely more expensive than public schools yeah what I'm hearing you say is pr- in India, Private schools seem to do better because, A, there was more money available for their use, presumably for things like technology and infrastructure, perhaps lunches and um, textbooks and, you know, whatever needs to occur, the, the physical logistics of running a school, but also because of higher educational standards, higher student learning expectations. Is my understanding accurate? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, I, I wonder if it's, the, if it's the same here or if it's exactly the opposite. We don't know yet. Well, we don't know yet. I, I do know that it has been tried in little pockets. Like there are areas of the U.S. that have lots more charter schools than everyone else. New Orleans is an example where there's lots of charter schools after Hurricane Katrina. And I think there are other situations that we can look to. I don't know the answers to these questions, but I feel like that is the stuff we need to be looking for, looking at how it worked in other countries, looking at how it worked in New Orleans and all these other places. And especially, I think, here in America where we look, we compare ourselves globally. You know, we always, not always, but you often will see on social media or even in mainstream media where parents, um, teachers, educational leaders, community members compare America's educational system to educational systems around the globe. And there are so many differences in America's educational system versus educational systems in other countries. Mm -hmm. And I think without taking into account those um, expectational inequities, the funding inequities, the inequities of populations that are served. So, for example, Sudden, tell me about if a student in India has um, multiple 
uh, multiple disabilities or multiple inequity, um, what we used to call handicaps. So let's say, for example, they're visually impaired and have a non-functional hand. How would they be educated? How would that child go through the educational system? Okay, so um, for the issues that you're talking about, there are solutions in place, even in the public or private sector. Uh, for example, if you're blind, you can actually um, ask somebody else to write the exam for you. They have provisions for that in the public schools. But in terms of other disabilities, disabilities, it's. I think it's more about how much money you have. Um, it all it, it all comes down. It, you you got to understand India is a completely different economic. Uh, we should re- have you listen to the old episode that we had. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's it's a completely no, it's, different. This um, is a great conversation. Yeah. So um, in even in the private, I, I think in the private, if you pay money, you get um, you get better. You services. get better services, okay. or you get more services. You yes. have more access to a multitude of supports. Yes, because it's private. Right. So in public, you can only access what they already have. And they aren't giving a lot of money to the public sector, I'm sure. Right. Or not. Not in money. India. Yeah. I mean, right. Not in India. Yeah, exactly. So in, in fact, it's, it's really bad. It's not it's not even like they have a because in, in terms of the funding itself, I think public schools in America have a, a big slice of um, education funding versus um, the budget for India. Sure. Nationally, you're talking. Right? Even in terms of percentage. Um, okay including the, even if you take into account the population sure um but my only concern is um is the is the current um political scenario is that gonna what's the agenda there is that on one side you have the um ap computer science courses pushing towards more and you know what cm is doing pushing on it more women into engineering computer science specifically um on the other hand you have a political system that uh, might not be might encouraging not this. Um, so yeah. what's going to happen? We take a step forward, take two steps back. What's yeah. The, yeah. I listened to a podcast from Ed Surge again uh, just very recently where they talked to someone, uh, I think it was like the STEM coordinator from the Obama administration who's just leaving. But basically his view was that this incoming Trump administration is probably going to go for their agenda of no longer having a strong federal uh, government overseeing education. There will no longer be as many federal programs uh, for education. They are not going to push Common Core as much, et cetera, that kind of thing. So does that translate to pushing more private Well, he so that's the thing. His view was that it could be viewed good or bad because on one hand, you know, yeah, you're getting less support from the, at the federal level. On the other hand, you could view it as, well, now there is a much, much greater opportunity for states to be a leader, for people within states to be a leader and establish their own programs, at least for people in their state. So so sure. I don't know. And this is where it gets super complex. And um, I, my personal thought and opinion on this is even if I raise my child in a certain part of the country, I cannot guarantee that my child will remain in that certain part of the country forever. And even if they did, I can't guarantee that, let's say they I raise them in a certain part of the country where they can receive a K through 16 plus education, 
that doesn't mean that they will necessarily still be able to give back to their community in a meaningful way. I need for them to be exposed to other opportunities and other experiences in other places so that they are well-placed and prepared to be globally functional. And when I say globally, I just mean globally in, in terms of universally able to adapt, to understand, to move fluidly within multiple environments. So if I raise my, my child in a small town in a rural part of the country where there's a history of mining and farming, that's fine. And that's a, it, I grew up in a place similar to that. It's a great place to raise a child. But if their best opportunity for college and beyond is occurring outside of that area, they need to be equipped to be able to go to that place and adapt and function and learn and grow and develop because perhaps what they do in that new environment can come back and impact and positively affect the community in which that child was raised. And uh, so, do you have any uh, final thoughts? Leave it in, in, an, in an upbeat manner? Yeah, let's <laughs> yes, leave it in an upbeat manner. We got pretty deep, so yes, yes. yes oh, okay. please. I mean, upbeat as in like in a more uh, positive yes, way. Yes, leave it on yes. a high note. Yeah, this is uh, something I was talking um, with another uh, coworker uh, regarding the administration that we have. Um, so uh, the point is, it's only four years. I think it's. Uh, I think for us, at least, the people who are uh, fighting for more. Um, you know, science education. Um, I think we need to keep doing what we're doing uh, because if we stop, then yes. we could be the tipping point. Right? What we are doing right now, including the listeners, like whatever teachers that you're listening, what you're doing could literally be the t- tipping point. So what we're doing is very important and we just need to keep doing it. And I think that's, that's yeah, that's what it is. Thank you, Southern. Thanks, Southern. I think that's very true. And we'll have another whole episode on climate science and engineering. And also, and also movies. And, and movies. also movies. <laughs> if you have any ideas for what shows we should have, you should totally send us messages. My Twitter is pious at... <laughs> we fist bumped our microphone, but that's okay. My Twitter is at Pius Wong. And Rachel, your Twitter? At our Farig. And Southern? I, I don't remember. <laughs> it's like at Southern I'll, find, I'll put it in the show notes All right, yeah. at Southern Satya Sila or something yeah, so uh, yeah send us messages and thank you so much for listening you are a small but mighty crew and uh, we will thank you all for your support you happy soon. new year happy Q1 <laughs> and keep on the good fight we'll keep on doing our best teaching people and making cool stuff okay. alright sounds awesome take care Check the show notes for this episode for links to any of the things we mentioned here. Let us know how we're doing by tweeting us, as you heard. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave reviews and comments on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Facebook. Get the details at the podcast website, k12engineering.net. Our closing music is from Late for School by Bleeptor under a Creative Commons attribution license. 
The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is a production of Pios Labs, and you can support Pios Labs at patreon.com slash Labs. Attention South by Southwest 2017 attendees. If you're going to the interactive conference, come register for our workshop on improv games for designers and engineers. I've also got a guide on the same subject in the works. So if you can't go to South by, but improv for engineers still interests you, send me a message. And if you're an educator going to South by EDU, we'll see you at our playground session, hopefully, talking about STEAM curricula. Thanks. Thanks.